1: I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me once again to learn our faith together. Uh, we're spending a little bit of time with uh, Bishop Sheen uh, meditating on Christmas. Uh, it is the Advent season, and so uh, today, of course, we're going to share two more reflections. Uh, one is entitled The Meaning of Love, The Meaning of Christmas. And uh, if you don't know by now (laughs) what the meaning of Christmas is, uh, Bishop Sheen will tell you what it is. So, anyway, but uh, you'll enjoy this reflection. And I will take a few moments, of course, to insert a few Advent reflections from Fulton Sheen, and uh, you'll enjoy those also. So, uh, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So please enjoy these Advent Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen.
2: the course of history there have been many who have appeared upon its stage and declared that they came from God and were messengers of God at this stage of our inquiry each and every one of them has a right to be heard there's no reason why we should pick out Christ at this particular moment any more than anyone else But we do, however, have a right to suggest certain tests or standards by which each of these claimants can be judged. We simply cannot allow anyone to appear upon the stage of history and say, Here I am. Believe me. Or, this is a book which an angel gave me. I want you to read it. It comes from God. When we start a discussion of revealed religion, we are never to abdicate human reason, nor are we ever to lose sight of the fact that we are in history. Therefore, one of the arguments that we will use is what might be called the argument of prophecy or prediction. The argument from prophecy is really very simple. Just ask yourself, if any founder of a world religion or any innovator of a modern religion was ever pre announced, no one knew that Buddha was coming, nor Confucius, nor Mohammed. through the centuries there was some dim expectation that Christ himself was coming. In the Old Testament we find uh, that God seems to be making a covenant, a treaty, a pact, or a testament. We find this in the very beginning, that God enters into a treaty or a pact with Adam that involves all humanity. Adam was the head. Whatever he did, then later on, God enters into a testament and a covenant with Noah. In these testaments and covenants, there are always promises and agreements on both sides. If one party remained moral, that was the human side, God on the divine side would give them blessings. Now from the moment of the very first covenant and its breaking, God said that there would come the seed of a woman who would undo the work of evil. Now this tradition, is caught up not only among the Jews, but particularly among the prophets. After the treaty with Noah, God enters into a new treaty with Abraham, whom he calls from the land of Ur. And he promises Abraham, I am going to make you the founder of a people. They will be the people of God. Later on, these people are led into bondage in Egypt. A new treaty, pact, covenant, is made with Moses. They break it. It is renewed again. And then finally there begin to come now prophets. And these prophets say that into this people of God there will one day come a savior and a redeemer. Here now we are speaking not just about a people that continue a tradition who have an expectation of a savior. But we are speaking now of many details that were given concerning that particular person. A Jewish scholar who became a Christian. Testament and all of the traditions of the Jews, said that at the time of Christ, the rabbis had gathered together 456 prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Christ, the conqueror of evil, who was to be born of that long line of Israel and was to enter into a new covenant with mankind. 456 prophecies. Suppose the chances of any one prophecy, like the place that he would be born, was one in a hundred. That is to say, it had that chance of being fulfilled. Then if two prophecies were fulfilled, the chances would be one in a thousand. If three prophecies were to coincide in Christ, that would be one in 10,000. If four, one in a 100,000. If five, one in a million. Now, if all of these prophecies were fulfilled in Christ, what would be the chance of them all concurring at the appointed moment, not only in place but also in time as was foretold by the prophet Daniel well if you take a pencil write on a sheet of paper one then draw a line beneath it then under the line write 84 and after 84 if you have time write 126 zeros now that is the chance of all of the prophecies of Christ being fulfilled. You see, it runs into millions and millions, trillions and trillions. And when Christ appeared, he said, I am the one whom the prophets foretold. In other words, I'm not just coming here on the stage of history. You have heard of me before. That is one of the reasons why, for example, Herod was not surprised that the Messiah was born. The rabbis told him. They knew the prophecies. He knew he was to be a king, the new king of mankind, therefore he wanted to kill him. And then when our blessed Lord had reached the age of about 30, he one day walked into his synagogue of Nazareth and the clerk of the synagogue handed him as the village carpenter a scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he began to read off a passage of Isaiah about what the Savior, the Messiah the Christ would be like namely his meekness his gentleness, how he would bind up wounds how he would forgive how he would release captives. The audience listened with rapt attention. Then he said, this day is sacred scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, I am the Messiah. I am the christ. I am the savior. ...of the world. At this point in the unfolding of the divine mysteries... and Christian doctrine... ...we come to some very important words in the Creed. Namely, that our Blessed Lord... ...was born of the Virgin Mary... try to give, first of all, some evidence for this. Secondly, show how it was necessary in the present plan of the world's redemption. First of all, the evidence for it, that our Lord was born of the Virgin Mary. In order to understand proofs, we must realize that the Gospels were not first. Just suppose that you live during the first 25 years of the church after Pentecost. How would you have answered the question? How can I know what I am to believe? You could not say, I will look in the Bible. There was no New Testament Bible then. You would have to believe what the church was teaching in those days. Once for example did our Lord tell the witnesses of his life to write he wrote only once in his life and that was in the sands But he did tell his apostles to preach in his name Be witnesses to him until the ends of the earth Hence those that take this or that text out of the gospel to prove something are very often isolating it from the historical atmosphere in which it arose and from the word of mouth which passed on Christ's truth. When finally the Gospels were written, they recorded a tradition. They did not create it. It was already there. After a while, men had decided to put in writing this tradition. And that explains the beginning of the Gospel of St. Luke. You remember how he begins? That thou mayest know the verity of these words in which thou hast been instructed. See, he assumes that people already had been instructed. The Gospels did not start the church, the church started the Gospels. The church did not come out of the Gospels, it was the Gospels that came out of the church. The church did not come to believe in the virgin birth because the gospels tell us there is a virgin birth. It was because the living word of God in his mystical body, the church already believed it and they set it down in the gospels. Now the one man who might be inclined to doubt the virgin birth on natural grounds was the man who writes it in his gospel namely, St. Luke. I say, on natural grounds, because Luke was a physician. And yet, it's the medical doctor who sets down the virgin birth and tells us most about it. Many of the teachings of our Lord were denied by heretics because there was a protest against Christ in the church from the very beginning. these heretics denied some of his doctrines, but there was one teaching that no early heretic denied, and that is that our Lord was born of a virgin. One would think that would be the very first doctrine to be attacked, but the virgin birth was accepted both by heretics and by believers alike. It would have been rather silly to try to convince anyone of the virgin birth if he did not already believe in the divinity of Christ. And that is why, probably, Mary did not speak of it herself until after the resurrection. And she told the apostles and others, although certainly Joseph, Elizabeth, and probably John the Baptist already knew of it, and of course our Lord himself all the time, we need not say that. There are two birth stories in the Gospel. The birth of our Lord and the birth of John the Baptist but notice the different stress the gospel story of John the Baptist centers on the father Zachary the gospel story of the birth of Jesus centers on the mother why does it center on the mother again because of the virgin birth you may ask well why is there a virgin birth could our blessed lord have come to this earth in any other way most certainly our lord really need not have been born at all but given the present order of things why is there a virgin birth well now here we come to something that is a little difficult to understand, and we hope that we can... that we can make it clear. The reason we believe in a virgin birth, and the reason in the present order... our Lord chose that way, was first of all... he wanted someone very good to bring him into this world. No great triumphant leader makes his entrance into the city over dust-covered roads... when he could come on a flower strewn avenue. infinite purity chosen any other port of entrance into humanity but that of human purity it would have created a tremendous difficulty for us namely how could he be sinless if he was born of a sin-laden humanity if a brush dipped in black becomes black and if a cloth takes on the color of the dye would not he in the eyes of the world have partaken of the guilt in which all humanity shared If he came to this earth through the wheat field of moral weakness, he certainly would have some chaff hanging onto the garment of his human nature. In other words, our problem is this. How could God become man and yet be a sinless man? First of all, he had to be man. He had to be like us. In order that he might be involved in some way in our humanity, in order that he might take upon himself, our sins, but at the same time, though our blessed Lord had to be a perfect man, nevertheless he could not be a sinful man. He had to be a sinless man. He had in some way to be outside of that terrible current of sin that has passed on and infected all humanity. You see the problem? He had to be a man. He had to be different from all other men in the sense that he had to be our Redeemer, and sinless in the new Adam. The problem is very much like that of a ship. Imagine a ship sailing on a sea that's very dirty and foul. It wishes to pass to another sea or lake immediately nearby, where the waters are crystal clear and pure. Now, evidently, there has to be some break between the foul waters and the clear waters. Otherwise, they would merge. So what happens? there is often a lock built. So a ship sails along those foul waters then comes into the lock where the foul waters are completely separated from it. And then the ship is finally lifted into the clear waters. So our blessed Lord in some way had to be related to the sinful humanity that went on before, related in as much as he would be a man, not because he would be sinful. And at the same time, He had to be sinless so that he himself would not need redemption, but would be our redeemer. Now that lock that lifted our blessed Lord out of that sinful current of humanity and made him the sinless man, the new head of the human race, was the virgin Birth. And think of the beautiful, beautiful application it has for all of us. The Blessed Mother is the inspiration of everyone. The Mother is the protectress of the Virgin, and the Virgin is the inspiration of motherhood. Without mothers, there would be no virgins in the next generation. And without the virgins, mothers would forget that sublime ideal that lives beyond the earth. How often, for example, when you visit someone, you hear it said, Oh, that child looks exactly like the father. Well, if we had looked at our blessed Lord, we would have said, He looks exactly like his mother. He got something from his father's side, namely divinity. But he also got something from his mother's side. a sinless humanity. That's why we love Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. at his desk at the Tiber in Rome. And before him was a map. It was labeled Orbis Terrarum Imperium Romanum. Because he was master of the world, he was going to take offenses of the world, for all the civilized nations of the world were subject to Rome. There was only one capital in the world that was Rome, and there was only one official language, Latin, and there was one ruler, Caesar. So to every outpost, to every satrap, to every governor, the order went out. Every Roman must be enrolled in his own city. On the fringe of the empire, in the little village of Nazareth, soldiers tacked up on the wall the order for all citizens to register in the towns of their family origins. Joseph a carpenter, a very obscure descendant of the great King David, was obliged by that very fact to register in Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And in accordance with the edict, Mary and Joseph set out from the village of Nazareth for the village of Bethlehem, which lies about five miles on the other side of Jerusalem, that is to say, after they had made the journey from Nazareth. Five hundred years earlier it had been prophesied by the great prophet Micaeus, that our blessed Lord would be born in the city of Bethlehem. He dies in the great city of Jerusalem, that the ignominy of his crucifixion may be known to all, but the glory of his birth is hidden in the least of the cities. Mary is now with child, waiting birth, and Joseph is full of expectancy as he enters the city of his own family he searched for a place where he to whom heaven and earth belonged might be born could it be that the creator would not find room in his own creation certainly thought joseph and there would be room in the village inn room for the rich, there was room for those who were clothed in soft garments, there was room for everyone who had a tip to give to the innkeeper, but when finally the scrolls of history are completed down to the last words of time, the saddest lines of all will be, there was no room in the inn. the inn but there was room in the stable. The inn is a gathering place of public opinion, the focal point of the world's moods, the rendezvous of the worldly, the rallying place of the popular and the successful, but there's no room in the place where the world gathers. The stable, ah that is a place for outcasts, the ignored and the forgotten. The world might have expected the Son of God to be born in an inn. A stable would certainly be the last place in the world where one would look for him. The lesson is, divinity is always where you least expect to find it. Though the Son of God made man is invited to enter into his own world through a back door, from the earth, he's born under the earth, but the stable was a cave, and there he shook the earth to its very foundations, and because he's born in a cave, all who wish to see him must bend, must stoop, and the stoop is the mark of humidity. The proud refuse to stoop. Therefore, they miss divinity. Those, however, who are willing to bend their egos and go into that cave find that they are not in a cave at all. But they are in a universe where sits a babe on his mother's lap. who made the world. Shepherds and wise men came to visit him. Shepherds, they who know they know nothing. Wise men, they who know they do not know everything. became man. We do not mean to say that heaven was empty. That would be to think of heaven as a kind of a space, like a room that was 20 by 30 feet. When God came to this world, he did not leave heaven empty. And when he came to this world, he was not shaved down, he was not whittled down to human proportions. He was rather, Christ was, the life of God dwelling in human flesh. St. Thomas Aquinas has a very beautiful description of this in one of his hymns. He said, the heavenly word proceeding forth, yet leaving not the Father's side. Here we come to something just a little more difficult, and we're going to use a word which you may not often hear. We have to spend about six months when we are studying for the priesthood, just studying the meaning of these words, hypostatic union. The hypostatic union means that there are in Christ two natures and one person. Now that's something you must always remember. in your memory, in your mind. Christ has two natures, one human, one divine. They are both united in the person of God. Was God therefore a human person? the divine person. Did he have a human nature? Yes. Did he have a divine nature? Yes. And they were united in the divine person of God. Why did God become man? We limit ourselves to the historical order in which we live. The answer is, he became man in order to redeem us from sin. Once God took upon himself our human nature, he could act in our name. And every one of the actions of that human nature would have an infinite value. Not a sigh, a word, a tear, a step of that human nature was inseparable from the person of god that is why one breath of god made man would have been enough to redeem the world why because it was the breath of god and therefore had an infinite value but why then did god suffer so much when he took upon himself our human nature grains of sand in this world that are necessary and so love knows no limits and the only way to prove perfect love is by a surrender of all that one has and so God took upon himself our human nature and he said he loved us unto the end even unto death how you see the beauty and the majesty do you not of Christ Why, when he became man at Bethlehem, took upon himself the form of a babe? what did we have? Why, he who was born without a mother in heaven is born without a father on earth. He who made the world was born in it. Maker of the sun under the sun. Molder of the earth on the earth wise, a little infant, feeling the world, lying in a manger, rolling the stars, nursed by his mother. The mirth of heaven weeps. God becomes man. The incarnate, eternity time. Lord scourged, king crowned with thorns. And if you were the only person in the world who ever lived and seen it, you would have come down to this earth is how much He loves
0: you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith.
1: Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me to just reflect on the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bishop Sheen gave such a beautiful Advent meditation there, and so we will now finish our program with one more meditation from his Life is Worth Living broadcast, and this meditation is entitled The Meaning of Love, The Meaning of Christmas. So I would ask you to sit back and relax and enjoy this beautiful reflection from the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh,
2: Chesterton once said that a philosophy of life was extremely important. He said that when you go to visit a dentist, before the dentist begins to drill your tooth, he has a right to ask you, what is your philosophy of life? Because if your philosophy of life is wrong, he can't be sure that you will pay your bills. (laughs) An old wise Socrates once said, Marry. if your wife is good, you'll be happy. If she's an old shrew, you'll become a philosopher. (laughs) Socrates became a philosopher. (laughs) There are only two philosophies of life, basically. And one philosophy of life is this. It is that of man. Who goes to perfection, or happiness, or God, by and through his own efforts. This is the philosophy, for example, of Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, philosophy of the ancient Greeks. One reached happiness, it was assumed, by contemplating the gods, or as the Eastern religions still believe, by some form of and self-discipline by which, for example, in the Eightfold Path of Buddha, you crush all desires and eventually achieve some kind of perfection. This happens to be the philosophy of many today who have a queer kind of psychologism, which often goes by the name, wrongly enough, of Christianity. They hope that by rearranging their mental states, or by passing on torches to fellow man, or by doing something fairly good in the natural order, that they will attain some kind of perfection. Now, that velocity of life is actually not very solid. And the reason it is not is because we have to recognize that we cannot lift ourselves by our own bootstraps cannot lift ourselves by the lobes of our ears. And we all know that barbarism is not something that is behind us. It is something that is beneath us. We know that there is a beast that dwells within us, and at any moment that beast might break loose. Furthermore, there's a limit to what we can know and even when we do know, we have enough moral code. We are powerless to do. There is nothing that gives man such a jolt as being thrown back on his own resources. So there's another philosophy of life and it is just the opposite. Instead of man going up this way to God, operates this way. God comes down to man. And this is the true valid experience of the soul, for the soul responds to something rather than takes the initiative. There's a world of difference between the two. Here all the initiative is on the part of man. Here man responds to something. We too often think, for example, that, well, if we have a little spark of love, that God will show himself as the flame. Or if we dress up real nice and wear the costume of virtue, that God will be very pleased and he'll begin to love. It. That isn't the way it operates at all. God loved us First. A man was born blind and by an operation ceased might at one time think that, oh, the sun just begins and the mountains and valleys and the rivers and streams are just appearing. They were always there. He just discovered them. Every child, when he reaches the age of six or seven, begins to realize that the mother loves him. No, the mother always loved him. The mother loved him before he was born. That is why, incidentally, many never realize how much their parents love them until they begin to be parents themselves. But the love is first. So religion is fundamentally a response rather than an initiative on the part of man. And that's the way nature works. Now let me show you the universe. Here's the hierarchy of creation. Uh, This is a peculiar way to draw the world and the universe. You know, sometimes when you think of the condition the world is in now, you sometimes wish that Noah had missed the boat. (laughs) And for the benefit of those who think the world owes them a living, it's well to remember that the world was here before they were. Well, this is the hierarchy of creation. At the bottom are chemicals, then plants, then animals, then man. Running through the universe is this law. Nothing ever mounts to a higher level except the higher thing comes down to it. For example, if the chemicals... The phosphate, the moisture, the air, the sunshine are to be living things. The plant must come down to them. The plant must descend to them. If the plant could speak, the plant would say, unless you die to your lower existence, you cannot live in my kingdom. But if you die to this lower existence that you have, you will begin to be a living, palpitating thing. And continuing it, if, for example, the plant, mustn't forget how to spell, otherwise they get a thousand letters. (laughs) C-H-E-M-I-C-A-L-S. Chemical. plant is ever to live in the animal. The animal must come down to the plant. And if the animal could speak, it would say to the plant, unless you die to this lower existence that you have, unless you were torn up from near the roots in the earth, unless you were ground beneath the jaws of death, you cannot live in my kingdom. But if you will surrender your lower existence, And be responsive to me then you will be not just a living thing then you will be sentient you can see you can hear you can touch you can move and if the animal is ever to live in man man must come down to the animal Lift it up. Say to it, you can live a higher life. You must be responsive. Submit yourself to the knife, to the fire. Then you will be a thinking, willing creature that knows science and art and that with a mind can scan the universe. And read the secret of the stars. But shall evolution stop here in progress? Chemicals have no right to say there's no life above them. Plants have no right to say there's no life above them. So there is a higher life above man. And that higher life is God. And if man is ever to be lifted up, God in some way must come down to man. But it is not that simple. These are natures, not persons. The oxygen is not free. The cabbage has no liberty. The animal has no personality, no rights. But man has. these things can be appropriated one by the other by sheer force but not even the God who made man free would destroy his freedom if man is ever to be taken up he will have to go through some process of discipline it is true but if he's ever to be taken up There must be a free act on the part of man. And one day there came out from the great white throne of light an angel of light. An angel. See, have you noticed how common angels are now? For Christmas, isn't it wonderful? An angel came out from the great white throne of light and descended down over the plains of Esdralim and came to a woman kneeling in prayer. And through the angel, God said to the woman, Will you give me a man? Will you give me a human nature? Speaking in the name of all humanity, will you by an act of freedom say here is a man and she said Fiat be it done the Woman's mission? Submission. Surrender. And that man could not be without love, without fire, without passion. But there are other fires than those of the flesh, and other passions than those that thereof, And the fire and the passion and the love that descended upon her was the spirit and the flame the love of god nine months passed one night i rang out over the stillness of an evening breeze out over the white chalked hills of bethlehem a cry a gentle cry He did not hear the voice, for the sea was filled with its own cry. The great ones of the earth did not hear the cry, for they could not understand how a child could be greater than a man. There were only two classes of people who heard the cry that night, shepherds and wise men. those who know they know nothing. Wise men, those who know they do not know everything. The very simple, the very learned, never the man with one book. Never the man who thinks that. And when they came, they saw a babe whose tiny hands were not quite long enough to touch the huge heads of the cattle, and yet a babe was steering the sun and moon and stars in their courses, the baby feet that did not walk, they could not bear the weight of divine omnipotence. Eyes, eyes that might have read the secrets of every living heart that hour. Under that baby brow was beating a mind and an intelligence that formed the universe, along with a human intelligence that would grow in age and grace and wisdom before God and men. And this babe who was born was not a man who made himself a god, was not a man who was an ethical reformer, not just a teacher like Budor Socrates, not someone who would develop a consciousness of Godhead as he went on, but someone who from all eternity was God and began to be in time the only one on earth that ever had a prehistory, a prehistory to be studied, not in the dust and the slime of primeval jungles, but in the bosom of an eternal Father. Our proud minds to think of it. And think of that great and wise and very learned poet Francis Thompson, whose poetry staggers us with its learning. And one Christmas Eve, he went into a crib near where he lived, a church nearby where he lived in England, and he stood there as this great wise man and thought himself as a child, and thought of God coming down to this earth as a babe. And then his mind became simple, divinely simple, and he, he said in his poem, Little Jesus, wast thou shy once? And just as small as I, and how did it feel like to be out of heaven and just like me I should think that I would cry for my house all made of sky and the twaking to a distress me not an angel there to dress. Hadst thou ever any toys? Like us little girls and boys? And didst thou play with all the angels that were not too tall with stars for marbles? Did the things play, Can you see me through their wings? Did thy mother let thee spoil thy robes by playing on our soil? How nice to have them always new, because in heaven was quite clean blue. Did thy mother at the night kiss thee and fold thy clothes in tight? And didst thou feel quite good in bed, kissed and sweet? And thy prayer said, Oh, thou canst not have forgotten all that it feels like. To be small. Then take me by the hand and walk. And listen to my baby talk. That was just his way of understanding omnipotence in bond, the maker of the stars under the stars. The creator of the earth, not having place whereon to lay his head. And what does it mean? Why did he come? He did not come to make us nice people. He came to make us new men. To change our nature. Because everything else in nature is being changed by lifted up. Just suppose, for example, this block of marble suddenly began to bloom. Why, that would be something that does not belong to the powers or the natures or the needs of marble. Suppose these flowers suddenly began to move about from one place on the stage to another, as an animal might, seeking out first camera one, then camera two, and then camera three. That would be something that certainly does not belong to the nature of flowers. And suppose a dog should suddenly walk across the stage and begin to recite Shakespeare. Well, that would be something certainly that does not belong to the nature of a dog. And suppose any of us who are just creatures, just men, suddenly began to be children of God so that the divine nature began to pulsate within us so that we were lifted up by offering our human nature as Mary offered the first human nature so that we could in a lesser way be united with divine first so that his truth with all that great wisdom would begin to flood our minds and then his will and his love would begin to possess us and would impregnate and suffuse itself over every single love that we had. Oh, if that ever came to pass, and it does come to pass. That would be the meaning of Christmas. That's why the Son of God came to this earth. To make us other sons of God. To make us more than just human beings. It's not easy. It's very hard. You say, oh, I'm a, I'm a beast. I'm foul. I dare not be lifted up. Remember that he was laid in a manger. Companions were beasts. That is our hope, our joy, our peace, our merry Christmas.
1: Our sincere thanks to the Fulton J. Sheen Company, who has given us permission to share these broadcasts with you today. I invite you to make Bishop Sheen a part of your family audio and video collection. You can call them toll free at one 357 4336 or visit the official website for purchasing Catholic family videos and DVDs of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's recordings from the Catholic television series, Life is Worth Living. The web address is www.bishopsheen.com you will find rare collections of Catholic family video recordings addressing a variety of topics such as morality, Mary the Mother of God, angels, Catholic Holy Days, and other faith-based subjects. So call toll-free today, 1-866-357-4336. Again, one 866 357 4336 and on the web www.bishopsheen.com And on behalf of Bishop Sheen, God love you.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program Your Life is Worth Living hosted by Al Smith.
1: Well, Radio Maria family, our hour has come to an end and I want to wish... Each and every one of you a very holy and Merry Christmas. And I'd ask you to come back next week. And so until that time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. Once again, Merry Christmas.
0: You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.